Hi guys, my name's Adele Onyango and welcome to another episode of Legally Clueless. No, seriously, I have no clue what I'm doing, but I'm pretty sure I'm not the only one. Hello and welcome to episode 68 of Legally Clueless. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. In fact, we just hit a milestone this week on our online platforms. We just surpassed over half a million streams. <laughs> Let me tell you, I always say this, especially on Twitter, when I come across you sharing about the podcast or referring people to it or saying how you relate with the with the stories you hear on here. I always say finding out that people listen to this podcast is a yummy feeling. Like there's no other word I can use to describe it. It's just yummy. <laughs> <laughs> so when I looked at the back end and I saw the number of streams, I was just like, oh my God, <laughs> they're listening. I want to obviously send love to the Kenyans who are listening to this, but also to the Ghanaians, to the Rwandese, to those in South Africa, to those in Nigeria, to those in the States, to those in the UK, to um, those in which other country did I see? China. <laughs> Honestly, wherever you are in this world, thanks for listening. This is definitely going to be one of my favorite episodes. Well, they all are. I mean, not like, because we have such an interesting story coming up. Here's a snippet. That was the only one time in our life where we were arguing. And I remember just telling her two days before, by the way, I'm going to Rwanda. And she's like, okay, you just let me know when you're back. No, 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 I'm not coming back. So yeah, I went to Rwanda 2012. 2012 was the worst year of my life. We just came home one day and the house was locked. They've been saying that, yeah, pay the rent on time. And apparently it had not been paid for about three or four months. So that's coming up on 100 African Stories later on in this episode. But I have more good news. I signed a book deal. <laughs> Even just saying it out, out loud, I'm like, oh my God, Adele, this is happening. <laughs> it's so exciting. So earlier this year on my late mom's birthday, February 24th to be precise, because on such days, I could be triggered to be extremely emotional, not want to get out of bed. So I only scheduled one thing to do that day, which was to go and sign my book deal contract. <laughs> oh my God. So I'm co-authoring a book with a young lady called JJ Lanchi Ouko. She works in the legal field and it's going to be a book that amplifies stories of survivors of rape in a way that has never been done before. I am a survivor as well, so this is a very special and dear book to me. The book will also shine a spotlight on the legal system and the cracks that are really stopping survivors from getting the justice that they need. I'm so excited about this project and hopefully the book will be out later this year. I don't want to say a date yet because I don't want to jinx it, but we definitely have a date. But yeah, later this year. And it's been such a ride writing my bits for the book because it's meant that I have to go to some really dark places that I, I, I really haven't explored outside of therapy. <laughs> so I remember at one point while I was writing for the book, and obviously, you know, you have your deadlines because then the editors need to go through it and blah, blah, blah. And I unlocked such a dark place that I had to have an emergency <laughs> session with my therapist because, yeah, it just, it it's just a lot. Writing about it really... Oh, I don't want to cry. It really made it so apparent. Not that it wasn't apparent before, but so apparent that 
this experience had affected very many parts of my life and just just very unfair right but also like on the flip side so I stopped crying <laughs> I also then got to see how much progress I'd made in healing and intentional healing because one of the things that I talk about in the book is just my journey to loving my body again because for very many years my body was just the scene of a crime and I had to intentionally work on loving my body as it is and also in exploring the sexual side of me which is at a very beautiful and powerful point that at the beginning of you know even going for therapy if you had told me I'd reach a point where I could celebrate my body celebrate my sexuality celebrate myself as a sexual being I didn't think that was ever going to be possible so writing for this project has really as much as it, it, it was tough and I had to go to some dark areas it's made me realize that I've done a lot of of healing and that I should be proud of that yeah I'm proud I'm just so happy that from such a dark painful place that something powerful and bright and strong and full of so many voices has come out and yeah I hope I hope that inspires you okay um away from my whew, didn't expect to get so emotional <laughs> Oof. okay so another really good thing that's happening is in the last episode, I told you about a workshop that my initiative, the Adele Nyango Initiative, was doing in partnership with Facebook and Wild for young business owners to help you kind of navigate this crazy period due to the pandemic and create a digital strategy for your business. So last week we had the workshop, which was on the basic module. It was so beautiful. We had over a hundred people register, my God. And the workshop was just so insightful. I even learned so much, right? Um, and so we're having the intermediary module this week. It's a free workshop. I hope you're listening to this <laughs> before the workshop happens. So it's on Tuesday, which is the 30th of June at 2 p.m. to 4 p.m. In the description box, I'm going to put a link because as much as the workshop is free, you need to register. So I'll put a link where you can register and I really hope you make it because even the basic module workshop helps me figure out a lot more things I can do with my initiative and even with this podcast. So I'm damn sure that you're going to learn a lot more in the intermediary module. So I hope you make it. I really do. And if you know any other young business owners or young at hats, <laughs> share the info with them. Let's build each other up as much as we can and just share skills. And speaking of sharing things, woo, my favorite bit of the podcast, okay, well, one of, is sharing the song of the week. This song I just stumbled on, actually. <laughs> I just opened my Apple Music app and went to Sun L, went to an essential playlist of his and stumbled on this song. So it's called Yerefaga. I have no idea what it's about. I have no idea what it means because um, the vocals on it are in a different language or a language I don't understand. But let me tell you the instrumentals. This is how I know music is so powerful. Wah! The song has these instrumentals 
this guitar that almost speaks to me. And I don't know if that sounds weird, but it's, it's, when this song comes on, I have such a deep connection with it. I genuinely can't even work. You know, like how you play music in the background as you work. I can't work when this song comes on. And it's not that I'm up dancing or anything. It's, I just get so captured by it. I don't know if this is weird, but I did tell you guys that I have such an intimate relationship with music, especially music that I love. So I would love you to check out the song. I'm going to put a link to it in the description. It features another musician whose name I cannot pronounce and I do not want to butcher the name. <laughs> Already, I don't know if I'm saying Yerefaga the right way. <laughs> but please check it out. It's so beautiful. It's so beautiful. And remember that you can actually recommend songs to be the songs of the week on this podcast. All you have to do is send me a link to the song on our Legally Clueless hotline number, which is plus 254-768-628-790. So let's get into 100 African Stories. The story is by my friend Georgine Dirangu, who's one of the top African journalists right now. He's working at the BBC and it's a beautiful story. It's such a beautiful story. I, I, I mean, the so much about him that I, I had no idea he had experienced. He talks about leaving Kenya, moving to Rwanda at one point, basically being homeless in Rwanda, working his way to a point where he's on a panel with seven presidents and to coming back home to work for the BBC. And I hope it inspires you. Stories from Africa. My name is Georgie, Georgie Ndirango, um, born in Mombasa. Came to Nairobi before, which took like a whole, a whole convincing of my dad that we should have stayed in Mombasa because my family had animals in in Mombasa, which is hard to get, especially in the 80s. I was born in 1988, so it, it was almost unheard of to have goats and rabbits and all that. Then we left all that. Both of them were accountants, and then we came to Nairobi. After Nairobi, now growing up. The last, uh, in 2012 now, when things start, started to, to get a certain way, I went to Rwanda after I did my internship and finished uni. And then I stayed in Rwanda for almost 10 years, seven years to be exact. While in uni, you know that when you, I have this strong belief where you believe in something bigger than yourself. And then you're constantly trying to do something. You know, you refuse to be average so much that when, whenever something is just done averagely, you get bored. You know, it's like working. You just work nine to five. You're like, ah, oh, man, I could be doing something else. So I think that was it. We, we started working with, with a friend of mine called Afshon. At that time, he was this huge entrepreneur. And he was making uh, these hoodies for uh, like DJ Krim, and they and they used to do some work together. He's, he was the first, you imagine in 2011, 2010, making hoodies, what people are doing now, you know? So he used to do that back then, and he had the plug, and he was learning to be a DJ because he had been dropped by I don't know which DJ outfit. So he was so mad <laughs> at everyone. So he was mad at entrepreneurs, he was mad at DJs. <laughs> so we became friends just because of that entrepreneurship. and. I remember I had a fashion page where we just celebrate style and fashion, do photo shoots, do fashion events. And then, yeah, we somehow managed to meet, then had an office at Norwich Union in Kenya's capital in Nairobi, uh, just near Hilton Hotel. And I remember we used to say, ah, oh, I see all these people coming to Hilton Hotel. They don't even know how much money they could be spending on our business, you know. <laughs> I remember he, he started doing um, tattoos and then I was focused on temporary tattoos because I didn't know anything about it and yeah just one thing led to another and when I left he's he continued 
hustling somehow, some way. And he called me one time and said, you know what? We are working with a television distributor in Rwanda and they want to set up a, a different events company where people can now curate parties for companies, right? Like if you're a huge corporate, we would get something for your staff to get going, you know, something like that. And then, yeah, so he told me, come and do the logistics for us and what, what. So... I didn't even take two months to think about it. And at that time, uh, my mom, that was the only one time in our life where we were arguing. It was the only time that we, we were not on speaking terms. And I remember just telling her two days before, by the way, I'm going to Rwanda. And she was just like, because we hadn't spoken for maybe a week. She was like, okay, you just let me know when you're back, uh, you know? No, 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 I'm not coming back. And it was, uh, it was, so like finally she, she, she came to understand that I was really leaving and so the question was, why am I leaving when, you know, there's stuff that seems to be working? Uh, I was working at the Ministry of Lands and Housing back it when it was Kenya's Ministry of Lands and Housing was one thing. Like things seemed to be going well, where like, you know, in a traditional, traditionally it's you study, you go, to, you go to this place and then you have a friend in the ministry who knows you. So, they, so you get the job and then no other kid gets the job. And then when you get an internship, you're the only one getting paid like two dollars, so <laughs> you know, per day, something like that. Uh, you can you can survive on lunch and stuff. And then the staff is the one taking you to 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 get to your bus stop where you can take your bus home. So th- things seem to be going alright, but that's that's I, I I didn't I didn't feel like that was enough impact. And also you're young, you want you have that boiling blood. So yeah, I went to Rwanda, 2012. 2012 was the worst year of my life oh my word 2012 and 13 when we went we the guy had organized for us to stay in a certain house we were at least i think all of us were kenyans there was only one one guy who wasn't kenyan and i think he used to come and help us uh, cook and clean because cash was so scarce that's one thing that we were not told that cash would be scarce we hadn't been paid in so long and we kept he kept saying you know what things are going to get better you know cash will be released and whatnot so even the food that we used to eat, because we were made, it's a, so it was a relatively big house, three or four bedrooms, and all of us used to stay there. So I think we were six or seven. We used to cook together, eat together. There's no cash to like you eat your own and what. And we were all trying to be, you know, we're still those guys from Kenya, you know. <laughs> no one can tell us anything. If we want anything, we'll just go out and do it. And then on social media, we were also those guys, you know. And we used to eat so much matumbo. Oh my word, so much matumbo. Intestines and stuff, so much. We used to eat so much of that. So this one time, um, I think there was like a small paycheck that had come through, but we, we didn't get it. It was just for like the department. So it was my turn to cook. So I, I put on the jiko. We had a whole house, like it was well fitted with an oven, uh, something to cook and whatnot, but we didn't have enough money for gas, right? So we got uh, charcoal, a jiko, what, what, and we put it on and we put on the the, the pan. Uh, the pots and the, the now the onions go in and what and you know like I'm thinking of course I've been raised well so I obviously know how to cook so I put I put on the meat at some point and I was using a blackberry at the time a blackberry back when whenever they sang BBM you would just be so happy telling him check BBM <laughs> I was using a blackberry at the time and I remember the food I got distracted somehow some way and I wasn't even so far from the from the from the kitchen yeah. but like my timing was like <sighs> so I got completely absent minded 
And mind you, we haven't eaten meat in maybe five weeks, right? Five, six, seven weeks. It's a big deal. And it's maybe like one and a half kilos, right? And you're cooking all of it at once because you have to eat all of it and it's a celebration, you know? Man, let me tell you, I've seen brown meat and I've seen dark meat with no sauce, with no... It was somewhere in the middle. All I had was just... I'm like, what's what's, what's happening? What's burning? Who's that burning stuff? And I'm not even checking... The meat was all burnt. It was all burnt. That, where you're trying to say, okay, you know what? I've eaten nyamachoma before. I could try and do it. They just came to the kitchen. All of them, they're just looking at me like, what did you do? Like, they was they were, they didn't speak to me for maybe two weeks. Or at least they didn't let me in the kitchen for two weeks. 2012, 2013. And then I think just based off of that back and forth and, and us being family, the guy felt really guilty. And he said, you know, he'll try and do something. So he spoke to the managing director of the company. And the company had a radio radio station, the first private radio station in Rwanda. And then he said, you know what? I have these guys who they speak English. You know, they've been to good schools. I mean, not the league schools or whatever, but it's just a good school because the system here is pretty good in Kenya. The, the guy just met us once, twice. And, you know, as a Kenyan, he asked you, can you do this? Yes. <laughs> As a kid, if you need someone to paint, I'll paint. Never done painting, even crayons. Never done nothing my whole life. So yeah, uh, so he met us and he just said, you know what, actually, we have a, a, there was a huge French, the staff was largely Francophone because it was Francophone or Kenya Rwanda, obviously based off of Rwanda's history. And yeah, he said just, there was, um, she was called Gogo, Gogo. Yeah, I think it was Gogo. But he told me, just follow her around. It wasn't even anything structured, like, you imagine 2012, that's how 2012. So it wasn't anything structured, just follow her around. If she goes into studio, follow her. If she, you just note how she records her tonations. And so I did that for maybe two, two or three weeks. She would be in the newsroom reading. I'm just across the table like, mm-hmm, 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 okay. So she say, uh, hello, and uh, uh-huh. and you know, bonjour and uh, hello is not the same thing. So, so I, I kind of grasp the donations, but from a French perspective. So whenever I, when I started reading the news, <laughs> I was doing it more French. So it's English words, but with French donation. So like the president is, what? It's like, what's happening here? So one thing led to another. And the part that was so interesting, because the universe is just so beautiful. It, it really matches your energy, right? And so at this point, like back home, everyone's just asking, like, why are you not coming home? And what, what? And mind you, the bus ride to uh, Rwanda was about 24. It's a, it's a whole day, 24, 25 hours. I don't think you want to do that. Like right now, I, I mean, we've done it and you can do it on a road trip when it's fun. When you're counting down time, like, oh, 23 hours left, 22, 22 and a half. The funny thing about that was the guy, because it was the first private radio, he, he's such an, an innovative guy. He was a lot older, one of the guys who had accumulated some good amount of money and he was really well and he managed to secure a loan from the bank and he said it was to set up a TV. So the first private TV in Rwanda. And and at that time, of course, we had been incorporated and I started doing five minutes of news, then 15 minutes. Then there was another lady from Rwanda called Fiona who trained me as well, um, who also got mad at me because... Hmm. Oh, my word. Funny story about Fiona. So at some point when all that that stuff with the house was happening and the radio before we got onto TV, we we just came home one day and the house was locked. 
So we're like, oh, oh man, all right. So I mean, it's obvious they've been saying that yeah, pay the rent on time and what what. So we waited for the guy to come, my friend who had called us, and apparently it had not been paid for about three or four months. So we're like, okay, so what's gonna happen? At least let us pick our stuff because we've made one or two friends in Rwanda. Um, we'll probably just move there as you guys handle the stuff, and then you let us know where we can stay. If you can pay us, would be great. Uh, we could find a way to to live. No. It's whatever you had. You go and sort yourself out. They refused to open for maybe two months. So we had nothing. It was just a shirt, a coat. Weirdly, I, that day I had left with my laptop. A laptop that when they started, they, they was paying us, of course, like a little here and there and under the table. You know, it's not very official formal yet because they couldn't justify how a foreigner was getting a job and the local hadn't been given. I somehow had, so you'd keep depositing, keep depositing. Of course, I had done accounts and you just know as the much, the more you deposit, the more you're eligible for a loan. So that's what I had in mind. So I got a loan and the first thing I did when I got a loan was buy a laptop. And it wasn't even just a laptop, it was a Mac. I couldn't afford it. I couldn't afford it. I don't even know why I did that. I couldn't afford it. So weirdly, on that day, I'd carry the Mac. Weirdly, I, I used to leave it every time. So I'd carry the Mac. I had my official shoes and some uh, chinos and, yeah, a shirt and a coat and the bag and the Blackberry. <laughs> 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 and the Blackberry, obviously, yeah. So that's it. And we were not allowed into the house for two months. So that's where Fiona comes in. Because we had worked with Fiona and she had been poached from the national broadcaster to come and train people and just elevate the status. You know how like when, when a new station has come out, they try to bring the, the guys, the personalities. So she was one of them. So we had developed a kind of friendship and we were, it was, it was kind of, I don't know where we would say we were flirting, so to speak. So she had a really soft heart. And then... Yeah, so she allowed us to, I, I told her about it and she said, you know what, actually, you could come and crash at our place. And now the one of the friends that I was staying with at the house was also a good friend of hers. So she was like, you just come with him, it's okay. But she was staying with the mom and it was a two bedroom house. So what happened was she gave us her room and she went and slept in the other room. It was supposed to be three, four days. We were at her house for a solid nine weeks. So guilty, even saying it now the audacity and then after all that now i realize why she was so mad at me because actually after all that it's like i didn't even recognize that i had any feelings or whatever towards her and i started dating someone else but i started dating someone else when i started making money oh my we were there for so long and then you know we're not making any money so they're 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 really doing everything for us. And at that time, you're refusing to go home. So, like, they're just sending you some cash every now and, now and then. But they're even wondering why they're sending you cash from here. Then the private TV started. So, obviously, it was easier or cheaper for, for the, the guy who started the TV to hire from the radio. So, that's what happened. And then two of us, I remember two guys, two of us who were Kenyans and one was Rwandan. We were hired and... Just like that, we went into primetime. And we used to read news at 9. At 9, it was 8 p.m. at Rwandan time, so 9 p.m. here in Kenya. We became news anchors. That's how it started on TV10, Rwanda's first private TV. 
And the craziest thing was that like it, it started picking up so much and then now we because it was so the government was trying to really like assist private companies so whenever you'd uh, you'd request for a minister or something they would come and in Rwanda ministers are not like celebrities it's mainly they're there just to do the work so it wasn't a big deal when like you you don't see many at 15 cars yeah. come to your office you know so that's what happened and then now for me the hosting thing started with the minister for youth who came and then we started speaking and then I would blew into oh you can host a conversation can you host two people can you host three can you host outside the office then that's how it, the hashtag Georgie hosts mm. came about now when I think back I, I think oh that was such a brave move mm. but back then there was nothing brave about it it was dumb it was a really dumb decision but in retrospect it was necessary right to be to just get out of your shell because I always say like Rwanda taught me more about being an adult than Kenya ever will or ever did right because I was there immediately after school to when you've seen the most money in your life it was a mix of a lot of regret pain despair desperation serious desperation and you still have to maintain that social where you can't show weakness at all you can't show any weakness whatsoever so you imagine just how how much bottled up stuff that was there yeah because i think it stems from family where you want everyone around you to be all right and you feel like you being the weak link will ruin everything else it's like when everyone's holding each other in a deep pool or something if one of you lets go you you have the potential to drown a lot of people so i felt like we i i needed to be strong we needed to be strong for each other and just be like you know what this is nothing there are people who have worse problems and yeah so i think that that was it and then on social media based off of what we used to do before we left you had already amassed such a following that knew you for something so you can't show that you're not all right you know which i came to know later is vulnerability also has a place you know it also has a place and you have to allow it to just just allow you know allow whether you're down good up bad down just allow like it's it's human nature is very normal so so after that struggling and what not in 2024 I remember CNBC Africa was already operational in Rwanda but they they had come a bit after I think 2013 2014 if I'm not wrong but now something weird happened which I'm saying like the universe oh my word so one of the guys they were not doing a studio work one of the guys who was the main reporter who used to report now back to Nairobi because CNBC's main office was here in in Nairobi one time they they just said that oh man this guy he was in the shower and he just fell and like his back there was an issue with his back i think he i kind of like slipped something or a disc came out or some, something like that so he was in hospital for a very long time and he had gotten the same injury when he was at the gym he also he also didn't really like me but he came to like me after we i think we're we're good friends now so cuz he was in in hospital an opportunity opened up you know you know what i mean an opportunity opened up and then they started looking and because of the conversations that we'd been having with different peoples i remember me telling you that i was just hosting joji host and what not so a lot of people at least more than one person had seen what i what i could do kind of not do and yeah so they reached out and asked whether i'd want to do an interview and i i just did an interview opposite where the cnbc office was and then it's the usual we'll let you know we're still looking and you don't have any papers you don't even have the visa papers you know like you're always leaving the country after 3 months to come back the, like trying to beat the system and then i remember one time it was on a 
Friday, I was with my housemate because we moved with the guy, the guy we were with. After some time, we moved. We didn't stay at Fiona's forever, right? So we moved. And then I remember we were just talking with him and I was telling him, you know what, man, I feel like uh, it's done. My time is done. That was in 2014 in uh, July. My time is done. I think I'm going to go back to Nairobi and try something. Um, I had been told, you could just come. We'll try something with the family. You know, they, there's, there's the farm. There's what? No, you could just, we could just try something. And then right when we were talking about that, around that time, because I told him that for three days straight, and he just kept telling me, man, you know what? Uh, you know, life is a... An email came from CNBC. Obviously, when you, you just, it just says, offer letter, and you don't look at anything else. You jump straight to the money, especially when it's your first... Essentials. Oh, essentials, essential services. So I jumped the money and they were paying 10 times my TV10 salary. Because I remember it was 150k Rwandan francs, which is basically like 20k or something like that. I know, uh, before tax. Before tax. Uh, and so it was a solid maybe 17k. And mind you, I was paying the loan for the laptop. <laughs> yeah. So, and then they were paying 10 times that. It wasn't a hard decision at all. It didn't even take two seconds. I remember getting up. I told him, I oh my word, look at this. So I left him with the phone. I didn't even shower. I went to my room. I put on pants and whatnot. I, I just got on. So I didn't have enough cash for a, a bike, a motorbike or something. So I just walked, which was a bit inefficient because I, I wanted to reach the office and tell my boss quickly. So I reach and then I go into his office. Luckily, he was there and I, I knock and I get in and I'm like, oh man. Um, I quit. He just looked at me. He's like, hmm, that's not how it works. You know, you can't just quit. What's happening? You don't even have the money to go home. Where are you going? Where are you going? So I tell him I got an offer letter and I think it's everything I've ever wanted. And what? And it's a chance to actually do journalism and news and what what something i've never i've never been able to at least study although we got the training at tv10 that was the first training in, in my life one thing that i i'll never forget he asked me how much are they paying you so in my till today i really wish he would have asked me you know what are you gonna do how do you feel but i realize it's not his work he's he was he was a friend yes he got to become a friend but he's he's a manager his work is to protect the interests of the company so it was on friday so i started work the next week on wednesday because they asked me, how soon are you, how, how soon are you available are you for work? And now I could even do start working doing this interview, <laughs> you know. And then, yeah, that happened. So that was 2014, July. August is my birthday, August 2014. My first salary met me in the air. Like I was going to Dubai already. Like I knew, I knew I could afford it. I knew for sure I could afford it. But the salary hadn't checked in. And that, that was a funny thing. And it didn't check in for like another two days. So it's just like, you're telling the people in Dubai, I swear I have money. I swear I have some money. I could, I swear. And that was the first time I ever left, the, I left Africa. So one thing led to another. And I think it was just now, because of CNBC and the kind of reach that they had, uh, at least on the continent, you were discussing things on a continental level. It was never Rwanda or Kenya or Uganda, Tanzania. It's anything that touches on the broader aspect. So then that happened 2014, 15, 16, 17. All this time, you're really, you've started now to speak to one president, you know, two presidents. And you said, oh, you know, I, I guess every journalist does this. No, don't you do it? No, you, you, you don't do journalism where you speak to presidents, you know. It became, it stopped being like, wow. It started becoming, okay, so how do I, you know, get better? at you you wear your rec reputable name where you say okay if you want to talk about business journalism in Rwanda or someone we know in Rwanda or on CNBC George is the guy so even before like knowing that I wanted to leave there were so many random 
amazing moments that just blew your mind and you thought okay I'll stick uh, for, forever on this um one of them was I, I remember we went to uh, Congo and we we went in through the Rwandan side Lake Kivu and I had never been to Congo before and of course when you watch movies it's like the Congo and then you hear drums like but that's very stereotypical right like as is everyone with what they've heard of Rwanda, Burundi and what and they're all amazing places. We go to this place and I'd been told that we were going to interview Warren Buffett's son, right? Howard Buffett. And Congo the, the area that we were going, they don't have a national grid. There's no power company or whatnot. So whatever you whatever you get the power, you just power your own area. So we meet the guy and I will always this is probably the best moment I ever had in my life even after interviewing who and who I will always remember because he we met and he didn't have any air towards him and whatever. He was just like he was just there to, to do his stuff and go. He's Howard Buffett. When we were just preparing and getting the mic and knowing where we we're going to interview him, I asked him, "You know what? I've I've really wanted to get into business, right?" I, so I asked him, "Okay. So and then at that point, you know, you've you've already established like you you already established as a name as a name in journalism and when 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 they say, "Okay, he's going to come and interview us." Whatever you ask, whatever you talk, it's not you're not a junior. Yeah. You're saying even if you're junior in age, but you know exactly what you want in mind and so you can banter with the person and what not and I think that's what helped that's what has helped with a lot of other interviews. So I asked him, okay. So clearly you were born into money. No difference f- from Trump. Um and he of course we start laughing and then I asked him, okay. So what for someone who's not born into money or doesn't see any cash being left a trust fund in the horizon what's the bit of advice you would give for someone getting into business and i remember he told me the most silly thing I was like first of all i'm just a young man why are you cursing at me um the most silly and stupid thing you could ever do right now is do something alone everyone has done everything right but this there's always an element if you say you're going to do something that that has to do with tech or let's say com communication or whatever you can't build the service and build the communication platform like you could get someone reduce your cost and make the money twice as much you know what i mean and it really never hit me until years after where you're thinking ah oh, no wonder he's a billionaire no wonder so anyway so we finished the the interview and it went amazing i remember there's a picture i took that i posted on my instagram where it was so he said he doesn't want to speak to anyone else not his team not even cuz he wants to focus on the interview finish it and then we can go cuz we're also tight on time so i remember there's a picture where it's just me him and his aide who was handling the power plant where we were going to see and then around us is armed guys 15 of them just walking with us so it's like i'm like yeah you know yeah would you even know i didn't have a house to stay in a, a few a year or something back you know and then it it looks like a real movie it looked like we were filming something but they were just there for protection because because of what happened happens that side or what used to happen that side we we go we film everything he tells us about the plant and what his intentions are and what 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 And then after that he says okay cool so cool you got everything you wanted yep 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 they get into three cars they go we look at the time and the time was about 5:25 something like that so we are walking casually say like, oh my god it was such a nice interview what 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 we get a phone call so i had two producers one of them is german the other is swiss two white guys and one black guy which doesn't help the situation because of 
the, the next part of the story. So we get a call and the hotel where we were staying, they tell us, uh, I don't know whether you guys are very uh, conscious of the time. I thought you guys were on your way because by six, the roads are closed because it's a rebel, it's rebel land, right? Like it's one rebel here, one one rebel group here, war, war, war. Like it's, it's always factions that were trying to, you know, it's, it's normally like, like that, oh, we're trying to rebel against the government, but it's really not. It's just taking control of a particular part of the, of the country. And that's what we were faced with. And the time from where we were to the hotel, by that time it was 5.30. So time was really starting to move. It was one hour. It takes one hour from where we were to the... But we're supposed to be there by 6. Yeah, in 20 minutes. So I have never seen or felt wind through a car with the windows closed like that. Man, we were flying through because the guys were like, and obviously you either pay or you never know. Like they could shoot you because they don't know who you are. And having two white guys doesn't help, right? That was basically, I think 2015 or 2016, I can't remember. I just remember at one point we were going so quickly that we just said, you know what, guys, whatever happens, let's just stop. We had to stop for a while. So I think I took a picture of like the mountains and when we were driving off, you could just see like one of the guys in those areas. He was just lying down with like a missile on the side, just talking to a chick. Just like, oh my, it's just a normal. And and it looks like, you know, it's um, one of those stories that you would read somewhere. But we were asking each other with, with my producer and the director and the guy who was filming, is this how it is? And he had obviously seen it before. He was like, yeah, I mean, it's normal. Um, there's also the presence of the UN and what, what, what. So this is something that they, they see so much. And... I will never forget that experience. Then we went, we, we went to the hotel, ate. We left, we left after a while. But in 2018, it started to reach a point because we had shifted our our management a, a bit too much to to try and get like what the next stage for journalism and TV in Rwanda was and what, what, what. And we'd already set up a studio and all that. But I remember, for, I counted, I think, between four times a day or like even a, a, a loose a good amount of times a week where my boss would come and ask me, Georgie, what do you think, you know, we should do about this? And Because you've been there since 2014 mm-hmm. and it's 2018 now. So four years later, you, you just got the title senior presenter producer. So what do you think we should do? What do you think we should do? What do you think? And I, I remember every time, aside from getting out of the office to go do the hosting gigs and moderating, it started to feel like the limit, you had reached the limit, right? And funny, funny thing about that, I don't know whether this is the reason why BBC picked me, but I remember Larry had come to Rwanda at one point. Yeah, Larry Mado, so he's so great journalist, at least even in Africa, and he just left BBC now, so he's not come. He's he's going to stay in the states for a bit longer. But he he was setting up now a huge, a, a different business team. What he said he wanted it to be, or what what now later came to be the biggest business unit, at least in Africa, in African media. And he he had seen me on a panel with seven presidents and I think he had seen what I what I could do or how I could communicate and what what of course everyone needs training and if you're going to get on the BBC there's a different kind of training but he told me just try this try apply and well, well, you never know because at the BBC also you don't you it's not a, oh I know you I know the HR there's nothing like that everyone does boards the interviews are done by people you've never met before and then that's what happened and then we just got a call and that was it I think I was really looking for a way to come back and based off of how I had left, I wanted to come back where you're still three steps ahead or five steps ahead of people your age so that by the time they catch up, you've moved on to something else, something like that. So th- so that's how it was. And I ended up, yeah, that was 
again now July 2018. So since 2018, I've been back. Yeah, I still feel I really miss Rwanda. I really do. I, I still, until a, a while back, I felt like I hadn't settled and I would still settle in Rwanda. You know, I still have a lot of family there, friends who became family. So I have at least a huge part of my heart still belongs there. Well, I can tell you for a fact, I've, I've toyed around with the idea of leaving the country even now. If you're going back to school or whatnot outside outside Kenya, outside East Africa. But I know I wouldn't do it the same way I did in 2012, where you just say, I'm leaving. You know, you'd have to do your research. Okay, where do I stay? How much money do I have to keep me alive and whatnot? And because you're now a lot older, you don't have the liberty to, to just mess around and whatnot. And I'm dating now, so you're thinking for two. And then, of course, your your parent needs something and and your brothers and whatnot. And you still have a lot, a lot of people who look up to you to make the right decisions so they can feel like they're also making the right decisions as well. I think I really do not like stagnation. Whenever I start to feel like I wake up with a little less satisfaction, and satisfaction comes in different ways. You could post something and you have, you know, engagement on on something that you're passionate about, or um, you could you could uh, just you have a conversation with someone and they unlock something that you were thinking and you're like I thought I was crazy no you're thinking about that too so I, I think it's just not being comfortable is uh, is both a blessing and a curse yeah yeah, yeah where you 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 look like you're ungrateful for where you are now where a lot of people would kill to be but you also have such a longing to be the best or better than everyone else where you also end up rubbing people the wrong way and whatnot of course you do it with compassion as you move along in life but i think it's very inherent it has to be yeah in you to always not settle so for a very long time i i, I thought I, I didn't have best friends and it's that macho thing where you're like no i'm a guy i'm a dude my best friend is you know my brother and you know what but i realized i do have two best two friends i can call like my solid friends you know in rwanda guys and of course my mentors as well but my vulnerabilities started to show when you realize I really want to tell someone about this or like I have an idea, but it's more of an emotion. It has an emotional attachment. I don't want to tell it to my mentor. I want to tell it to someone else and maybe I'm dating or whatnot. But that's where my vulnerabilities also check in where you say, I really want to tell someone I'm sad, you know, and I don't want to post it. Also, because I can tell where I want my social media to, you know, like you're you're a rock. You can't be you can't be weak. You know, which is such a weird societal norm. It's it's sour, my word. But but so that that's where it was. So uh, whenever I feel, I still get them till today where you feel very insecure. For a long time, even when I was in high school, I felt very insecure. I was telling my girlfriend the other day, I felt very insecure about my weight that I used to wear a sweater inside my shirt so that people would think I'm bulk. But you can clearly see my arms are skinny, so I just want to know I have a big chest. After a year, three years, when I went to uni and after uni, I was like, that was so dumb. That was so silly. But I had such insecurities where... You don't like how you look. You don't like how you sound. You play back whatever you've you've done on radio or TV, and you're like, oh, "Who's that?" You know, or I looked funny, or my face, or some part of my face looks funny. Or first of all, at work, if someone critiques my work, I will mull over it for so long. Oh my word, I'll be there like wondering, "Oh, I should have done it like this. I should have done it better." Till now, you know, like you, you're like, it should have come to near perfection, yeah. but it never will, right? There's, there'll always be one person be like. 
Nah, next. Yeah. It's just like, what? I worked on it for three days. Like, edited it for three days. How come you don't want to watch just one minute of my work? You know, something like that. And the the best thing about learning, you will never learn how to work around your weaknesses and your vulnerabilities. But it's just reaching a compromise with yourself where you say, okay. But my person normally says, give yourself room to fuck up, mm-hmm. right? You You did your best. And you know for sure you gave it everything. If someone critiques or whatever, you just take it as a learning channel and move on. We had a rule. We had a rule with my friends. We had two major rules. Number one was if, let's say, you manage to have a relationship with, with a woman or have a relationship with someone, you never come to brag to the boys. That was rule number one. It is your business. Do not disrespect the woman. Rule number two, if I tell you an idea or a story or something or something and you don't challenge me, you're out of the clique. No yes men at all. So no bragging about women and none of that kiddish stuff and no yes men at all. So if I could go back to 2012 to to the same Georgie guy, the young Georgie who was trying to explain that he wanted to leave and and tell my ma, you know what, I'm going to Rwanda and I'll, I'll be there for a long while, I would probably tell that young guy... First of all, you're going to need to save a lot of money. Save so much. Whatever you got, like you have no business owning a MacBook right now. If you want it, get it, you know, but you have no business doing it. There are other options. If you feel like, you know, you know get it if you, if you want to, you, you probably feel bad that you didn't learn another language. Yeah, I was surrounded by a lot of francophone people for a solid seven years. I mean, I get some French and I, I understand some basics of it. A sentence I could get by, but I'm not voulez-vous, you know. I would definitely tell him, just be very... Well, I've really tried to to be compassionate, like work around things with compassion based off of like just family, but where everyone everyone has the right to, you know, to just be loved, Right. So I would tell him just be more loving, save a lot of money, stop breaking hearts. I mean, it's unnecessary. Catch our next African stories in the next episode. Wasn't that just such a beautiful story? I loved so many parts about it. One part that stood out for me, other than the guy on the side of the road, (laughs) just chit-chatting a chick while holding a missile. I love that he talked about vulnerabilities and this struggle to appear tough and that everything is okay, especially with social media. There's a lot of pressure to not be 100% real about, you know, your insecurities or things that you're battling with. Yeah, I love that he brought that up because I'm pretty open on my social media, but there are quite a few things that I'm just like, "Mm, no, I don't want to be a Debbie Downer and share this. (laughs) So there's still that. But I guess it, it should be an extension of you. And so you shouldn't feel like you need to portray this perfect being because I genuinely believe there's nothing like perfection. Especially when we talk about humans and the human experience. Hey! <laughs> we are not perfect. And then life likes throwing things in to rock the boat. So yeah, just be as real as you're comfortable being online. And don't try and 
force yourself to be perfect because none of us are. So in the description box, I'm going to put a link to Georgie's Instagram because he shares a lot in terms of the features he does at BBC and he's just a cool guy like that. So that's in the description box as well. I've also really been enjoying going through all of the story demos that get sent on the Legally Clueless hotline. In case you're wondering what that's all about, you can actually get to be a storyteller on an episode. Just send a one minute what up audio note to the legally clueless hotline again it's plus two five four seven six eight six two eight seven nine zero and then we'll take it from there i'll send you a few story prompts yeah and we'll just chit chat it out until we can record your story but also some of you have been sharing the various ways that you have related with the podcast a story on the podcast or something that i've said and i love that you do that in fact i'm going to share one of your audio notes i was brought up in a family where you don't really say whatever you're feeling you get like you just hide it and hide it hide it so long as everyone sees that you're okay you get like and everyone goes through that i'm not complaining about that but i'm wanted to thank you for giving us this opportunity because when i listen to another person talk about their perspective about life and the things they have gone through and the steps they have taken to make their lives better it helps when you talk about the the, the apps used for anxiety i think about my own anxiety it helps me cope with all of that you get you, it, you know it like it's this it's this feeling of there's someone out there with who, who understands whatever I'm going through. You get like, I'm not the only one in this world. Oh, thank you so much. That was sent in by Lionel. And I really do appreciate that you not only listen to the podcast, but you actually relate with the stories and the things that I say and go a step further and share that on, on the hotline. I really do appreciate it. Remember, outside of the hotline, you can also catch this podcast on Trace FM every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at 9 a.m. and at 8 p.m. Just um, go to traceradio.co.ke. There's a list of the frequencies if you're in Kenya. If you're not, you can stream it online as well. And another thing, ooh, yes, please join us on our Instagram page. That's at Legally Clueless Podcast. And that's it for this episode of Legally Clueless. You can share this podcast with your friends. You can keep it for yourself. I'm not judging. Just make sure you're here next week for the next episode.